Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. You're about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. Tonight, weird people skulking around doing weird things. I'm talking the Mad Gasser of Mattoon, Illinois, and the Phantom Barber of Pascagoula, Mississippi. All that and more on Small Town Secrets. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the sixth episode of Season 7. That means that we are over the hump here on Season 7, halfway done with it already. And tonight, we're going to talk about a couple of stories that I have had in the, uh, I don't know, in the soup on the back burner. 
whatever for a long time. One of them was in my list of towns, my list of ideas since the beginning and uh, never got around to it. And that is the Phantom Barber of Pascagoula. If Pascagoula, Mississippi sounds familiar, it is because it is, I think this is the second time this has happened. Uh, we've talked about it before with the alien abduction slash contactee case that Pascagoula is very famous for. Did that a couple seasons back. So we are revisiting Pascagoula, Mississippi with another weird tale out of that town. And I actually had that one on my list before the whole like alien UFO stuff. So finally, you know, I didn't want to do it super early. So I was like, you know, what? there's been enough time in between that episode and this one. Let's go ahead and talk about the Phantom Barber. And I I don't think you can talk about the Phantom Barber if you don't talk about the Mad Gasser of Mattoon, Illinois. So those are the two stories on the docket for this episode. Uh, very similar in a lot of ways. Both just weird stories about people creeping around towns, doing stuff that they shouldn't be doing. One of them might not even have been real. But we will get into all of that here in a little bit. Uh, I just have one little housekeeping note. I just want to let everyone out there know, at the end of this month, at the end of November uh, 2021, unless you're listening to this is in the future, it won't much matter, I'm going to uh, shut down the Patreon. So it will be done with at the end of the month. Uh, the patrons already know what's going on. I already let them know. I'm just letting everyone else know, just in case anyone felt like joining so, but unless like a bunch of people join in the next week or so, I'm going to have to shelve it. Uh, it'll come back maybe if things kind of change and we can pick up some more listenership and get some more people interested in it. But right now, I just can't justify continuing to do it with the schedule that I now have. So, but everyone that is in the Patreon, thank you so much, and you will be getting content to finish out the month of November. And uh, we'll talk more about that there. So yeah, that is it. Let's not waste any more time. Let's get into the Mad Gasser of Mattoon, Illinois. Hello, all you curious creatures out there. I'm Amber Ray. And I'm Andrew McKay. And we are the hosts of Into the Portal. If you like myths, legends, history with a paranormal twist, join us every week as we explore lesser-known mysteries of our world and beyond. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play Music, and all other major podcast platforms, and at IntoThePortal.com, your gateway to the bazaar. The only question is, do you dare peer into the portal? Mattoon, Illinois has a healthy population of close to 17,000. And like so many other small towns and cities in the Midwest, it owes its growth to the railroads. It's home to the original, in quotation marks, Burger King. And that's actually, I could almost do an episode on that. Uh, they tried to sue Burger King, you know, the Burger King we all know. Uh, they didn't win it, but they did win the right to not have another Burger King within 20 miles of them, so the closest one is like 25 miles away. Sorry, a side note. But it was here that the mad gasser of Mattoon would grip the town in fear 
for a few weeks in 1944. It began on August 31st of 1944, when Urban Rafe was awoken by an odor he could not place. He woke up feeling nauseated and weakened. At first he thought his wife must have left the stove on. However, when she attempted to get out of bed, she found she was paralyzed and wasn't able to get up. The next day, on September 1st, three more attacks would be reported to police. One remains unnamed. Uh, the second was reported by a Mrs. Charles Ryder and the third by Mrs. Bert Kearney. Mrs. Kearney smelled what she described as a sweet odor around 11 p.m. that night. She dismissed the smell as nothing more than the flowers outside her window. But soon the smell overpowered her and she became weak in the legs. She screamed in panic and alerted her sister, who was also in the house. Her sister smelled the strange odor. The women called the police, but no evidence of anything was found. And then Bert Kearney came home from work at around 12.30 in the morning. It would be Mr. Kearney who would be first to see the gasser. He would see a man hiding in his bushes. He wasn't able to catch this man, but he described him as wearing all black and a tight-fitting black cap on his head, which I've always imagined as like a, uh, not a shower cap, but a, I guess a swimming cap that you would call it, whatever those things are that like divers and swimmers put on their heads to make them more aerodynamic. That's what I always picture whenever I picture the bad gasser. I picture, basically I picture the, uh, the Hamburglar in a swim cap with the mask and everything. That is my mad gasser. The next few days were quiet around Mattoon, but the police would get four more reports on the 5th, including their first real piece of evidence. Carl and Beulah Cords were coming home at around 10 p.m. Shortly after uh, settling in, they discovered a white cloth on their front porch directly underneath a window. Beulah picked up this cloth and smelled it, of course, which seems odd to me, like, I feel like the original attack has already been in the newspaper. There's already been some awareness of it. Maybe they didn't know, I don't know, but if I had heard that my neighbor had gotten gassed a couple days before, I wouldn't go around smelling random pieces of cloth that I found outside my door. But that's just me. She suddenly felt what she described as an electric shock, and then felt a burning sensation in her nose and throat and became quite ill. When the police showed up, they found not just the piece of cloth, but a skeleton key and a tube of lipstick. The sightings and attacks continued, and fed by some wild media reports, spurred some citizens of Mattoon to arm themselves. And they organized into watches in order to catch the mad gasser. More evidence mounted footprints and cut open screen windows were found by citizens. They even managed to make an arrest. I'm assuming a citizen's arrest, but then somehow they gave this man a polygraph and he passed it. So I don't know if he, they just handed him over to the police. The police did said polygraph, and let him go. Or if just some dude in town had a polygraph machine, I would like some more, some more clarification on that, but I couldn't really find anything. However, none of this seemed to really stop the Mad Gasser. During the next couple of days, 
attacks and sightings would continue. On the 8th, the Driscolls were awoken by someone removing the screen to their bedroom window. The house then filled with fumes, and they, along with their daughter Ramona, ran out of the house. But Ramona became overwhelmed with the fumes and started to vomit. Her mother would also report seeing someone fleeing into the night. The next night, Russell Bailey, Mrs. Genevieve Haskell, Catherine Tuzo, and Mrs. Haskell's son were all attacked with a gas. I believe they were all together in one house. On the 10th, Francine and Maxine Smith claimed to have seen a strange blue vapor around their house and heard a strange buzzing noise that they uh, reported as being, as possibly being some sort of quote unquote gassing machinery. By the 10th of September, the FBI also became involved in the investigation, but like the local police, uh, they could do very little. There just wasn't evidence and no one could really catch the slippery eel. Then on the 12th, after the police had so many reports, many of them being false alarms, police chief C.E. Cook addressed the case put it to rest, at least in the eyes of the police. He stated that the attacks were not attacks at all, but merely carbon tetrachloride that had been kind of wafting in from the nearby Atlas Diesel Engine Company with a dash of mass hysteria uh, to fuel everything else. And this was their official stance. And, uh, of course, you know, the, uh, the diesel company came back and said, well, no, 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 it's not us. We don't, we, we only use carbon tetrachloride in like our, in our fire extinguishers or something like that. They didn't use it on a grand scale, but this of course is the forties. Uh, and, uh, as we all know from some past episodes, chemical companies, not always on the up and up. So it's very possible that this could be it. Uh, we'll get into some stuff later about what it might have been. The last report of the Mad Gasser would come on the 13th of September, when Betha Birch would see the Gasser, but she described a woman dressed in men's clothing. There were even footprints found at the scene of the sighting, and they uh, resembled a woman's shoe print. After the 13th of 1944, the Gasser and the attacks stopped, and to this day, no one really knows who the Mad Gasser was, or exactly what happened in Batoon back in 44. But, like I said, there are several ideas. It may have been chemicals from the nearby diesel plant. Uh, carbon tetrachloride does cause all of those symptoms. However, this doesn't really explain uh, the footprints, it doesn't explain the cut screen windows, and all of the sightings of a strange person running around town. But it is possible that maybe they had some sort of spill and it just kind of engulfed the town for a couple of weeks before it dissipated and went away. Maybe, I don't know how long tetrachloride would last or not. And maybe everything else just kind of mass hysteria. So it, it could fit, but I feel like there's too much physical evidence really going on. You know, I mean, we have a cloth with a bunch of with a bunch of chemical in it. People have seen stuff. We have cut screen doors, so 
those aren't going to be caused by mass hysteria. That's like actual things that have happened. Many have pointed, like I said, to it just being a case of mass hysteria. And once again, it seems to me at least that there's pretty good physical evidence that someone was doing something. Once again, the cut screens, the footprints, the skeleton key, the lipstick, the cloth, all of that. Is it possible that it was a German spy or even our own government testing out some new chemical weapon? And that's not as far-fetched as you may think. I don't know all the details of the case, but I do believe that it did come out a while back that the CIA did test, like, LSD or something just on New York streets, like, back in the 70s or something, just, like, wiping it on, like, subway, you know, subway door handles or something and just seeing how the populace would react to it. So they've done it. It's happened. And I wouldn't put it out of uh, realm of possibility here. In 2002, a letter allegedly surfaced claiming that two sisters had a mentally ill brother who they said was the mad gasser. And the attacks only stopped because they were able to trap him in the basement until they could get him help at an actual institution. Which, sure, I'll give you that. But once again, uh, I couldn't find any names pertaining to this letter or any real, you know, basis in fact. There wasn't any strong evidence to support that the letter. I just found it one in one little article, and I was like, eh, maybe. But once again, no names, no real details, just a little story. And in the story where we have everyone else's names and not this, I find that one a little fishy. Perhaps the most conclusive explanation comes from Scott Morana's book, The Mad Gasser of Mattoon, Dispelling the Hysteria. In his book, he outs the son of a well-respected town grocer by the name of Farley Llewellyn. Farley was a known outcast of Mattoon, who may have had a grudge against certain members of the community. Morana goes on to explain that Farley's sisters kept the gassings going after he was put under tight surveillance by the police. This would explain why the last sighting was that of a woman, as well as some other aspects that I've kind of been thinking about. So, and I, did, I just put this together, a little bit of this, just a little bit ago. They've also found lipstick, but that was like the second attack. So I think that he may be on to something here, but I would posit that maybe all three of them might have been in it together the entire time. There were a lot of attacks, many taking place on multiple nights and like I had you know you can you can actually look at the Wikipedia article and if everything in there is correct because it is a Wikipedia article they do have a nice list a chronological list of all the uh, attacks and when they took place and sightings and all of that uh, but not so much times a couple of times here and there but not times of everything so could it have been like three people running around town doing this here there and everywhere uh, in an attempt to confuse the people of the city that confused the police, that confused the FBI as much as they could and get in as many attacks as they wanted for whatever reason. Maybe, maybe not, or maybe this guy is right. Uh, I don't think we'll ever know. There is one more explanation, and it's always the best one. That's why I saved it for last. Uh, Might have been Bigfoot. Could have been Bigfoot, a Bigfoot-type creature. I did stumble upon a couple of anecdotal kind of sentences here and there of 
people of some people that have posited the idea that it was some sort of hairy cryptid running around giving off some sort of strange gas. So of course, it's a gassy Bigfoot. Has to be a gassy Bigfoot. Nah, I don't. Uh, no, <laughs> it wasn't. I don't know. No, it wasn't. I'm inclined to believe that it was probably someone going around. They had a grudge or any, you know, I like Scott Mara's idea and I didn't get a, I didn't get a chance to get his book, but maybe I'll have to go back and get it and see what all is in there. seems like he's done a lot of research on it. So I'm kind of with him on this one. I don't think it was a cryptid. I don't think it was some, you know, phantom from another dimension doing it, which I also stumbled upon that a little bit. I think it was just somebody or a group of people running around town with carbon tetrachloride. I, I, I would say that was probably the gas that was being used. It just fits too well. Uh, maybe they got it. Maybe they got it from the diesel plant itself. Maybe that's where they got it from doing this and uh, causing some havoc for whatever reason. I don't know. Once again, I don't think we will ever know. It's just another one of those weird mysteries that happened in the 40s during the war. And I say that because the next story is very similar. It is another weird person running around during uh, World War II doing some strange shit. So let's now hop from uh, Mattoon, Illinois. I like saying Mattoon too. Mattoon to Pascagoula, Mississippi again. And uh, we'll talk about the Phantom Barber of Pascagoula, Mississippi. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. During World War II, Pascagoula's population tripled almost overnight. It went from something like 5,000 to 15,000 people. This small coastal town in Mississippi, mostly known for its fishing, soon became a hub for the war effort, churning out battleships. The surge of growth brought many strangers to town, but none stranger than the phantom barber of Pascagoula. June 5th, 1942 was a Friday, and on this night, two girls, Mary Evelyn Briggs and Edna Marie Hiddle, were awoken from their beds. The girls were staying at the Our Lady of Victory's Covent. They woke up just in time to see a, quote, sort of short, sort of fat man wearing a white shirt, end quote, crawling out of their bedroom window. The strange man did not harm the girls, but did cut off a lock of hair from each of their heads. The phantom barber laid low for the weekend, but on Monday the 8th, he would strike again. This time, he broke into the home of the Petey family. Once inside, he snipped a chunk of hair from the six-year-old Carol Petey as she slept beside her twin brother. A footprint was found outside the Petey home, but it was inconclusive, and so it was of little help to the police. By now, the strange story of the phantom barber was starting to make the rounds around town. And even though the crimes were odd and a little unsettling, no one had been harmed. Yet. The next Friday, it would all change. That night, someone broke into the home of Mr. and Mrs. Heidelberg. This time, however, he wasn't there take locks of hair. The barber viciously attacked the couple with a pipe, knocking Mr. Hiddleberg unconscious and knocking out several of Mrs. Hiddleberg's teeth. The couple did survive the attack. This time, the police rounded up a posse. They deputized six men, along with some bloodhounds, and armed with a bloody glove that I suppose was found at the Hiddleberg's home, they used it to track a scent into the woods, but turned up empty. Uh, I read in one of my articles that I found that they surmised that he must have had a bike out in the woods where they tracked him, and that's why they lost the scent, and they couldn't find him because of the bike, and he rode away. The last attack would happen on a Sunday, and I'm unclear if this is like the Sunday after the Friday that the Heidelbergs were attacked, or another Sunday. I couldn't get like a pinpoint of that in anything that I read. But the last attack was a Mrs. R.R. Taylor who had her hair cut by the barber. So now he's back to cutting hair. She told the police that she had been awoken by something with a sickening smell, which sounds amazingly familiar. The police deduced that she had been drugged with chloroform. People in town lived in fear. Many would not go out at night. 
uh, a lot of men refused to go to work at the shipyards for fear of the Phantom Barber. And this put a little bit of hamper on uh, production during the uh, war effort. Probably not like a huge amount, but it was there. And then, two months after that last attack on Mrs. Taylor, the police announced that they had made an arrest. They had arrested and charged a man named William Dolan, a 57-year-old chemist. They had evidence, but some would argue it was flimsy at best. Dolan had a grudge against Mr. Hiddleberg's father, who was a local magistrate, and they'd gotten into it uh, about an issue over trespassing. Seems fitting. The police, upon searching his home, found a bundle of human hair. The FBI would later confirm that some of the hair belonged to Carol Petey, which, I don't know. I, I don't know what you would use in the 40s to confirm a hair. I don't know if you're just getting it under a microscope and matching it up like it was a fiber, which we now kind of know that that isn't as 100% as we used to think it was. But, you know, there was no DNA. There was no other way really to match his hair in 42, so I don't know. I don't know. That seems a little fishy to me. Just, just a little bit. Dolan didn't stand a chance at trial. Even though he maintained his innocence, the evidence, combined with the fact that he was of German descent and was quickly labeled by the populace as a Nazi or a spy, landed him 10 years in jail for attempted murder. He was never charged for anything else. So none of the breaking and enterings, which I guess is what you would be charged with if you broke it and cut someone's hair. None of that. Just for the attempted murder of the Heidelbergs. However, six years later, Mississippi Governor Fielding Wright reviewed the case himself and asked Dolan to take a polygraph, which he passed. And you gotta remember, this is the 40s. The polygraph is pretty new. It hasn't been around for that long, so it's all the rage. That's, <laughs> and I think it was being used all over the place everyone was behind it because that was the new technology at the time. Both these stories have a polygraph in them. He passed his polygraph and his sentence was then suspended and he was released in 1951. To this day, the debate still goes on as if William Dolan was indeed the culprit known as the Phantom Barber of Pascagoula or if he was just a scapegoat of a pressured police force and a country in the grip of panic from war, and uh, I'm inclined to go with it's a little from column A, it's a little from column B. It seems weird to me that he would go around, clip some hair here, clip some hair there, brutally attack a couple of people, and then go back to clipping hair. I think he may have been involved in the beating of the Heidelbergs, because of the fight they had had with the family and all of that, but not necessarily the barber himself. I kind of think that was somebody else that just, just kind of got away with it, you know? Maybe they were just passing through town or it got too hot and they left and they just had a weird fetish for breaking in the houses and, and stealing people's hair. Uh, the hair that they found on the scene, that's dubious as best. 
that could have easily been planted or maybe just not have been there ever. I don't know. Then I guess the FBI gets into it. That might make it a little more credible. But once again, it's a tiny police force probably pressured to find somebody skulking around doing something weird. And they, I think they just, they got this guy and I think they were able to get, they were like, we can get him for the beatings. We know that. Let's see if we can just wrap all this up in a bow. And uh, they did. I So, I don't know. I think he... I would love to know what the polygraph was, like what the questions asked of him were. Did they center around the, the hair cutting or did they center more around the beatings? Because to me, that just seems like the work of two different people. And maybe he thought he could get in there and be like, oh, I'm going to take my revenge and maybe I can get him to think it was this guy and it backfired on him. A lot of questions, a lot of things to talk about in that story. But that one, we at least know... There was an actual person, I think, that did it. No mass hysteria, no gassy Bigfoots or anything like that. Just a weird crime that someone did some time for who may or may not have done it, like so many other stories that we sometimes cover on shows like this. And there you go, the Phantom Barber of Pascagoula, Mississippi, the Mad Gasser of Mattoon, Illinois. Two very similar stories in more ways than one, really, both took place during the war, you know, you know, panic police force, just weird crimes happening in the 40s. So let's uh, bring everything down a little bit with uh, some music, some intermission, and I will be back in a couple of minutes with a couple of your own small town secrets. Thank you. 
And tonight I have harvested a couple of stories from Reddit. Uh, one that just made me chuckle. And uh, it'll be the second one, but I really, I really dug it. This first one is from user Loki10Harv. And they wrote uh, this. They had this to say. I was in bed the other night after a long shift at work, so I was very tired and went straight to sleep. I got woken up around 5 a.m. by my dad outside my window shouting at me by my nickname. It sounded like all the windows were open when they were all shut and so were the doors. I thought nothing of it and just tried to get back to sleep, but he kept on shouting my name over and over. So I finally got up to go to the front door and let him in because honestly I just wanted to go back to sleep. I uh, started going down the stairs and I was shouting, Dad, Dad, and he shouted back at me from the living room and was like, I'm right here, I'm trying to sleep. And I asked him if he was outside and he said, no, I don't know who that was. And I was so confused and I just wanted to go back to sleep after checking all the windows. Nobody was there. The next morning, I had totally forgotten about it until about two hours ago when my dad came in and reminded me and told me he watched our ring doorbell footage and nobody was there all night. I checked the footage and nobody was there, but my dad also heard someone outside shouting my nickname. And now I'm freaking out because nobody was there and it sounded exactly like my dad to the point where I was about to open the door and let them in. And that we that's a different story. I haven't had a lot of stories like that. And something just came to mind and I cannot remember the name of the phenomenon. But there are a lot of reports of people hearing uh, familiar sounds. You know, your your mom coming home, driving up the driveway, and you hear them come inside and, you know, say something. And then they're not there. Or you hear someone downstairs that you know that it sounds familiar. It happens a lot. And I know that there is a name for it, but right now, off the top of my head, I cannot remember it for the life of me. So Loki, if I remember it, if I figure out what that phenomenon is called, I will hop on Reddit and uh, leave you a comment or I'll text you or something and give you something to look into about what that is. But I know that this is a thing that a lot of other people have also experienced. You're not alone with it. And the next one comes from a name, a Reddit name, which I'm probably going to say wrong. I think it's Rise AMD or RiseMD. Uh, I'm not sure with your kids and your silly Reddit nicknames here. But uh, uh, this story just gave me a laugh, and I want to share it with you all. Uh, my girlfriend and I had a weird encounter last night while traveling home from work. On our way home, we were going around a tight corner in the mountains. Well, as we were slowing down to take that corner, we both stared directly at what appeared to be a cow. A pure black cow. Now, that's all it could have been, was a cow. And... We could have been paranoid, but the fucked up thing was I had my bright lights on and it did not light this thing up and my light shone on it. Its eyes were the brightest neon green we've ever seen. Plus, they were a lot closer to what a cow's eyes should be. And we both had the same thought at the same time. 
that's not a cow. Again, it had the body and shape of a cow, but the eyes did not match it. We both got the same bone-chilling feeling while staring this thing down. Our stomachs were churning, and both of us got a chill down our spines. Needless to say, we uh, sped past that cow. Again, we both could have been paranoid. It was late. We were tired. A lot of things to consider, but we have farm history, and it was just a weird encounter overall. And that is a tremendous high weirdness story, and I love it. Yeah, it might have just been a cow, but cows can be creepy. But, like, the fact that it gave you chills, it churned your stomachs, that seemed this uncanny valley, uncowness of it all, seems really weird to me. And then the fact that you couldn't, like, it wouldn't take on light. Light hits something that didn't reflect, and you're just seeing this shadow cow. And then... I don't know. I mean, I'll give you some credit. Yeah, it might have just been a cow, but uh, we did have a little back and forth, and he said that it was just, it was probably about five or ten feet away from them, kind of back in the woods a little bit. Uh, you know, cows are usually out in the open. They usually hang out in pastures. I mean, you'll see them in woods every now and again. But also, like, I don't know. We don't have a lot of mountains around here. Actually, we don't have any. Do, do people have cows up in the mountains? Is that a thing, or do they normally have them on more like planes flatter to ground that to me it just seems like a weird place for a cow to be so cow uh phantom zone cow shadow cow i don't know and to tell you the truth uh, i don't care it's a great story either way thank you guys for letting me share your stories on the show and uh that's it that is another edition of your own small town secrets 
piece of weird history from your town that you would love to share on the show. A bunch of ways to get it to me. Uh, I don't tell people about it a lot anymore, but there is a subreddit for the show. You can find that along with everything else on the main page of the website, stscast.com. So if you want to do it through Reddit, there is, it's just down there with all the other links at the bottom of the page. But the best way to get it is to uh, go down the bottom of the main page there. There's an email form that you can fill out and send it right to me, and we'll figure out how we want to get it on the show. While you're at stscast.com, make sure to check everything else out. Uh, there are show notes and photos. I do have to update the site for the last few episodes. I've been having some issues with Squarespace uploading some pictures and stuff. So I, I have not been able to get everything on there the way I want it. But as soon as we get it straightened out, I will have the website update with the last few episodes. But normally there are show notes and sources and pictures, all that great stuff. There are links to merch. So grab yourself a shirt, a coffee mug, a sticker, all of that great jazz. Just, you know, all sorts of ways. Everything you need to know about the show is there to check out. If you want to get at me on social media, share your story that way, or just engage with me, you can find me on Twitter. That is where I'm most active. It is at STScast. I'm on Instagram at STScast.gram and Facebook at STScast.fb. And that's where you can find me on the socials. And that is a wrap for this episode. Thank you so much for supporting and listening. If you can, please uh, leave a rating and a review on your podcatcher of choice. And uh, just tell a friend. Uh, if everyone tells a friend, then we kind of double the audience here. And that is a great thing. So that's all I've got. Everyone have a great Thanksgiving. I'll be back in a couple of weeks with another episode of the show. Until then, remember that every town has a secret. What is yours?